Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad that you've joined us today, ready to study the Bible, and we're ready to study it with you. If you're a first-time viewer, let me explain what we do. You'll notice there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. That's for you to use anytime you want. Uh, if you have a question about the Bible, maybe something in your life, you wonder what the Bible has to say about it, uh, that's what we'll do for the next 30 minutes is try to find answers to those questions that have come in over the past few weeks. So give us a call or log on, tell us what's on your mind, and you direct the program. We'll try to answer your questions. When I say I, me, we, I mean uh, me, Steve Tandy, and Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. And we always start with one for our viewing audience before we get to work. So let's give you one. Uh, who were the first two apostles to follow Jesus? Jesus called 12 men to follow him, and we want to know the first two. So we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you're up on that little bit of Bible trivia. All right, Toby, I think you got the first one, so get us going here. Okay. A viewer asked the question, is obesity a sin? Well, it's not a, a specific sin listed in the Bible. There are no BMI charts that you'll find uh, in the in the pages of the New Testament. Um, but it, there are some maybe some causes of obesity that are are rooted in some issues that are addressed in Scripture. A couple of first is the matter of self control. Um, if you're obese because of a medical condition, if you're obese. Uh, sometimes those things happen. That's not what I'm talking about. But, but um, I would probably say that that most people who are obese would say at at, at some point in their diet, uh, part of their regimen, they have a self-control issue, and that that is a a spiritual issue. It's a it's a matter of the flesh versus the spirit. Uh, self-control is important. In fact, uh, self-control is one of the fruits of the spirit. And so, if you're battling with self-control, you should, as a, a Christian, uh, ask for God to help you. Ask for the Spirit to guide you. Uh, it, it can be a, a, a desire of the flesh that, that you simply don't have control of, and getting control of that is important. The second principle is uh, the, the, the matter of your body being a temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we should take care of our bodies. That's uh, a gift from God. It, human body really is an amazing machine. Uh, what it does, what it's capable of doing, how it takes care of itself, maintains itself, heals itself in some cases. Uh, and this is a gift from God, like all gifts from God, uh, it should be stewarded well, should be taken care of uh, in a way that pleases Him. Now, you you can become obsessive about that, and that can lead to pride. Some people get healthy and get into exercise and get into fit the fitness thing so much that they become prideful about it. So you got to be careful there, too. Um, but we should take care of the body. Uh, it's God's gift to us, and 
being healthy is important for being able to work and to enjoy life to its fullest and take care of our families and so forth. So it's it's reasonable to try to maintain good health, take care of your body and so forth. So eat right, uh, exercise, get plenty of rest, you know, simple common sense kinds of things lead to spiritual issues taking care of the body. And we'll uh, give you that scripture on the screen. First Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, so you are bought, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So, no, obesity is not listed as a specific sin, but there are some issues related to obesity, self-control, and taking care of the body uh, that could uh, be matters uh, that you should pay attention to. Alrighty, I won't try to add anything to that, but I will stick with the diet questions. We got another diet oh, okay. question here. All so, right. Uh, this one wants to know about the command not to eat pork. Uh, was that because they didn't have ways to safely store it, and does it apply today? All right, good question. The Old Testament did uh, have prohibitions against eating certain things, including pork. And God called those clean and unclean foods, and you could eat clean ones, and you couldn't eat unclean ones. Uh, our viewer wants to know, was that strictly for safety reasons? Well, uh, we think part of it was safety, and pretty good assumption, because all of God's rules, in one way or another, are for our good, if we really think through it. Uh, so certainly there were health problems with eating certain foods and even today we know that there are certain foods that are much more uh, risky to eat because the animals carry certain diseases and all of that and pork develops trichinosis I guess it is and or trichinella one of them but hey you get trichinosis that's it trichinella is the problem uh, so without proper storage and cooling and cooking methods and all that uh, pork can hurt us today so yes we think a lot of it was for safety reasons and health reasons uh, of course another reason was just to teach the people uh, the difference between godly things and ungodly things the matter of separation uh, holiness is what the word is for that and God promised them, if you do the things I tell you, if you abstain from the things I tell you not to, I'll bless you. Uh, you are separate from the world. You're different from everybody else around you. So you eat differently. And if you do that, I'll bless you. So part of it was to just to teach them separation, we're sure, but a lot of it was safety and health. Now, the second part of the viewer's questions was, does it apply today? Uh, no, it does not apply today. God has lifted those uh, dietary restrictions. Let me read you a very plain, clear explanation of that in Mark, chap Mark chapter 7, verse 18. And this is Jesus talking, so pretty good authority here. And Jesus talking about clean and unclean diet and all that. And he told his apostles, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. And then Mark puts in parentheses, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. All right, so there you have your one verse you need. Uh, all foods are clean now. We may eat them if we 
want to. Uh, no dietary restrictions on Christians. Uh, later in the New Testament, people still thought maybe they ought to follow the old, old dietary rules. Uh, there are some people today who think you ought to follow Old Testament dietary rules. Uh, and it may be healthy for you, and you can do it if you want, uh, but it doesn't make you Holy is what Jesus was saying. That's not what makes you clean or unclean. Uh, Colossians chapter 12, verse 26, Paul said, Don't let anybody judge you about what you eat or drink. Uh, in other words, no, that's not one of the rules these days. So uh, probably for safety, but no, it doesn't apply today. Okay, uh, good answer. A viewer asked the question about a parable. In the parable of the sons, <clears throat> one said yes but didn't go. The other said no but went, which one was right? All right, well, this parable that you're mentioning is found in Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 30, and this will be on your screen that we can read together. Of course, you can look it up at home and get a little more context, but the, the key part of it is this. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first, and he said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today, and he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said, and said the same. And he answered, uh, I go, sir, but did not go. Now, uh, when you read this initially, kind of an interesting parable, and uh, the scripture goes on to explain, as we mentioned many times, uh, if you just read a few verses after, a few <clears throat> verses before, that context will help you greatly to understand, um, especially with the parable. And I'm going to read this. This will not be on your screen, but I'll read it the rest of the story, as you might say. Uh, in verse 31, which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. And of course, this is the son who, who said he wouldn't go, but he changed his mind. Okay, And then he said to them, truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. Even after you saw this... You did not repent and believe him. Now, the key word there, I think, is repent. In the parable, he talks about the son that changed his mind. And repenting is, is that matter of changing yourself. Uh, so both sons, um, one was uh, disobedient in his actions and said he, he would go, but he didn't. And the other was disobedient uh, in his spirit. Uh, uh, and so these two sons have a different outcome, and it all comes back to repentance. The one son changed his mind and decided to go. And now when we pull back, and why is Jesus telling the story? Who's he telling it to? What's he telling it for? He's dealing with uh, the religious leaders, okay? And these people are all critical of him. And Jesus says, you're like uh, this son who says he's going to do what's right, but then doesn't. And the, ta the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the, the very opposite of the religious people, uh, were disobedient, but they changed their mind. They said they, you know, they want, they initially said they'd be disobedient, but they later changed their mind and became obedient. And that's what Jesus is making the point, I think, that all of us make mistakes and it's those who turn from their mistakes and learn from their mistakes. Uh, that process, uh, the word for that is repentance, turning away from you. you mess up. We all mess up when you sin. Uh, we all sin. 
But you turn from that. You say, that's not the right thing to do. That's not what God wants me to do. And you change as a result of that internal change. So uh, that's the point of the parable, is that repentance is important. And ultimately, when it comes down to all people, repentance uh, is the crux of the matter. It makes all the difference in the world. Uh, I hope that helps a little bit. All righty. We enjoy studying the Bible with you here on Know Your Bible for a few minutes each week, but we also think that uh, we ought to study some during the week. So we advocate home Bible study and think that's a good thing for all of us to do. And we know that's hard for some folks to get started and to form that habit. And a lot of our viewers have that habit and don't need any help at all. But those of you that are interested in getting started, we've got some Bible study tools that make it pretty easy to uh, follow a routine and get going and uh, get a little support and uh, accountability. And here's what we've got. This first course starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament and then leads you through a good overview of the Bible. We've got more advanced courses beyond that one that take you into more detail and uh, the life of Jesus and the story of Acts and other good uh, Bible study topics. And then we've recently added an online study that you can take without having to use the mails and wait for your lessons to come and go and all of that. A little bit easier for a lot of folks, so use that website there on the screen if you're interested in that. And we'll get you hooked up with lots of good ways to study the Bible. Uh, phone number and a website at the bottom of our screen all the time. Use those anytime to tell us you'd like that free course. Uh, tell us whether you'd like the paper version or the online version, and uh, we'll get it started for you. And you can start to know your Bible a little bit more. All right, got a question about being born again. Viewer says, do you believe, a little typo here, do you believe that you must be born again to go to heaven? Well, let's just see where that term comes from. Uh, that term's misused a little bit these days. Uh, some people think that there's two kinds of Christians. There's a regular Christian and there's a born-again Christian. Uh, that's not a biblical concept. Uh, but this viewer wants to know what born again is all about, so we'll just go directly to the source. Jesus is the one that came up with that. And the occasion was a fellow named Nicodemus, who was part of the Sanhedrin uh, ranking Jew. He was watching Jesus, and he knew Jesus was doing miracles, and he had to be from God. So he went to him at night because he didn't want to be seen by his other friends. And he told Jesus, he said, I believe you're from God. And here's what Jesus told him in John chapter 3, verse 3. Uh, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right, so our viewer's question was, do you believe you've got to be born again to go to heaven? I think Jesus just settled that. Uh, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. All right, now, Nicodemus' response was what? maybe ours is, what's born again mean? Actually, what Nicodemus says was, how's that possible? Uh, can't man can't be born again when he's old. He can't go back into his mother's womb and be born again. Uh, so he thought purely physical birth. And Jesus replied to that, and here's Jesus' answer just a little bit later in the chapter, John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So Jesus told him, no, I'm not talking about a physical birth. <clears throat> You've got to be born of the water and the Spirit, and then you will be born spiritually. You've already been born in the flesh. Your mother uh, flesh gave birth to flesh. And now you need spirit to give birth to spirit. So that's Jesus' explanation of what it is. Now, what born again is, uh, being born again, uh, the term literally means born from above, which gives us a little bit of help there. It's a spiritual birth. Uh, the Bible talks about that new birth. It's when eternal life is imparted. It's when our sins are forgiven. Uh, we have a need. Nicodemus had a need. Uh, we're all sinners, and we need to be born spiritually. And that's the way the Bible talks about that concept. Let me read a couple of verses to you. Ephesians 2, 1 says, You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. So that's that spiritual birth. We're dead in sin and we're born, born again, uh, because we've already been born physically. Now we're born spiritually, and that gets rid of our sins. Uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, Paul said, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all have this need for a spiritual rebirth. Uh, sinners are spiritually dead, uh, and they receive life through the Spirit, through uniting with Christ in his death. Now, when that happens, Paul explains it in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, and listen carefully to how Paul explains this. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. All right, there's that born again, born of water and the Spirit. The Spirit gives us new life when we obey Christ in baptism and we rise from the waters of baptism to live a new life. We've been born again, according to Jesus' terminology. Okay, so that's what born again is. And to go back to the original question, do you need to be born again to go to heaven? Jesus stated that very clearly. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. All right. Toby, good. Okay. Next one. All right. Uh, viewer says, I don't know what the principles of giving, I don't know the principles of giving. What are they? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about giving. Uh, this list will certainly not be comprehensive by any means, but some things to consider. First of all, from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about giving. Uh, in Jesus' day, even in our day, a lot of giving was done for show. It was to be seen. People were generous uh, when it benefited them to be generous. And Jesus said, uh, be careful to, not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, this doesn't mean people won't see you do good works and people won't see you give, but you're not to do it to be seen. He goes on to say, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets uh, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So that's one principle. Giving is not for show. It, it really reflects your heart 
and it shows your heart to the Lord, and uh, that's one of the ways you can do that. Uh, the second principle is that giving is a blessing. Uh, Jesus said in Acts twenty thirty five, he's quoted as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that seems counterintuitive, certainly from a worldly standpoint. Uh, but when you give, it changes something inside of you. And I think it molds you more into the nature and image of God who himself is a giver. You think about it, you know, one of the most well-known verses, for God so loved the world, he gave his son. Now, of course, his son, far greater gift than any, any gift we might offer the Lord. But in his nature, God is a giver. And when we give, uh, we, we change our hearts and our spirits uh, to be something like him. And so giving is a blessing. And I think that's true whether you give at church or whether you're, you're giving to help someone or you're, you're giving a tip at a restaurant. I, I think those acts in and of themselves will be a blessing to you and it will help you uh, be a better person and, and live the kind of life that God wants you to give. Uh, the final one is uh, are some principles from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, which tell us a few things. One, uh, giving's an opportunity. Uh, you, you get to decide in your heart uh, what, you, what you want to give, the scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says. Uh, and when you give, actually you get more, you get out more than you put in. Uh, giving's a, a measure of the heart. Uh, giving goes in Second Corinthians nine seven. It should be done with the right ad- attitude, not begrudgingly or under compulsion. But God loves a cheerful giver, and so th- the attitude with which you give is important. So there's several things, several matters. Uh, but Matthew six two through four, Acts twenty first thirty five, Second Corinthians nine, good places to read and study for some more principles on giving. Let's finish with one more, Second Corinthians chapter eight verse seven. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love <clears throat> and in our love for you, see that you also excel in this act of grace also. And that's the final thing is we should grow as, as givers and it changes us and will make us more mature in Christ. So some principles for you. I hope that's helpful. All right. What's the Bible say about <clears throat> cremation is what this viewer wants to know about. And we get this question a lot. It's one of our more popular questions, I guess. Uh, the Bible really doesn't say anything about cre- cremation. Uh, it mentions a few instances. Achan and his family were burned as punishment. Uh, Saul and Jonathan's bodies were burned after they were mutilated by the Philistines. Uh, so the few stories that we have about it kind of have kind of a negative connotation to it. Uh, the general practice in the Bible was burial, uh, and the bodies were treated with great respect and buried. Uh, so reading that, some people have kind of a negative connotation to cremation. Uh, plus, there's a misunderstanding about what God can do and can't do. Some people think uh, if you burn the body, somehow it's going to make resurrection difficult, resurrection of that body uh, difficult. Uh, People actually have killed Christians and cut their heads off and buried their heads one place and their bodies in the other place uh, to show them that, hey, now you can't be resurrected. Well, that's a misunderstanding of the power of God. He can resurrect whatever. Uh, let's look at one verse that makes that kind of clear. Ecclesiastes 12.7 says, The dust returns to the ground from it came from, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. So uh, that's the end of us all, however we get to that state of dust. Uh, 
people that died a thousand years ago are dust now. Uh, people who have been cremated recently are, are dust immediately. Uh, God can resurrect both of them. So it's a matter of Christian freedom. We always say that some people are uncomfortable with cre- cremation idea, uh, bother some people. Uh, so we advise families to talk about it before the time uh, for a funeral comes. Uh, make sure that your family understands your wishes and discuss it uh, and cover that. But we believe it's a matter of Christian freedom. Let me take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, We're sponsored by the Churches of Christ, and we appreciate the ones that help us stay on the air, and we like to mention one or two each week. Today, let me mention a couple. One's the Eastwood Church of Christ in Hutchinson. I see their building there on the screen right close to the state fairgrounds. Uh, Then the church in St. John, Kansas, is an excellent group of Christians that uh, support this program and have for a long time. and We appreciate them and their support. So if you live in one of those communities, uh, drop in and say hi to them. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. If you're looking for a church home, you'd certainly be warmly welcomed at either of those congregations or any church of Christ. Okay, Uh, next question the viewer submits is, were there any other humans or any other beings before Adam and Eve? Well, uh, according to the Bible, there were not. Uh, Obviously, you can get on the Internet and find any all sorts of theories about everything that may have existed and all sorts of strange fictional writings, but biblically speaking, no. Uh, There were animals, and then God created human beings, and obviously he created them differently. They were made in his image. So human beings and and the uh, animals are are different and separate and set apart, uh, and that's the way the Bible describes it. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, 20. 26 and 27 on the screen. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, of the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Uh, so Adam and Eve were the first, and uh, any other thing besides that uh, would be pure speculation, but certainly not biblical. All righty. Viewer wants to know, where did the idea start of people becoming angels when they die? Well, the viewer's right. Some people do talk about it that way. They talk about that when someone dies, they become an angel. Uh, that's not biblical. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. Angels are different, separate creations. Uh, we're made right now a little lower than the angels. When we go to heaven, we'll be higher than the angels, but we don't become angels. And our viewer wanted to know, where did the idea start, though? And I did a little research. I didn't spend a long, long time, but uh, I couldn't really find out any place the idea started. There's only two religions that I know of that get close to teaching it. Hindus talk about becoming an elevated state, an uh, angel being, and the Mormons teach that humans can become angels. Uh, so other than that, I don't know where the Maybe some pagan idea once, but uh, I don't know where it started, but it's not true and not according to the Bible. Uh, Maybe it came from us being careless about the way we say things. We tell little kids uh, that Aunt Mabel died and now she's an angel. So uh, we explain things that way, but it's not quite accurate. It probably doesn't hurt anything in the long run, but maybe that's where the idea came from. All right, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. Who were the first two apostles? to follow Jesus, and it was the two brothers, Peter and Andrew. 
Simon and Andrew actually, Jesus gave him the nickname of Peter, and we're, that's who was first. We're glad you were with us today. We're going to be back next week. Hope you're with us then. Till then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.